Hey, the following is, a, is actually a true story. Once there was a wealthy man who owned a lot, an exclusive residential area of a large city. And this lot posed an unusual problem. It was only two yards wide, but it was nearly 100 feet long. There's nothing he could do but sell it to one of the neighbors on either side. And so he went to the neighbor on the one side and he said, hey, I'm thinking about selling this lot. Obviously, you could expand your lot. And so the neighbor said, well, I would be interested, but, but only as a favor. And he named a ridiculously low price, and the man was furious. He said, that's not even a tenth of what it's worth. And he stormed out of there. So then he went next door to the other side, and to his dismay, that neighbor offered even less. And he said, look, the neighbor said, I've got you over a barrel. You can't build on it. You can't sell that lot to anyone else. I know you've already asked the neighbor on the other side. He called me. So there's my offer. Take it or leave it. The man was beside himself with rage. So a few days later, he hired an architect and a contractor to build one of the strangest houses ever conceived. It was five feet wide and ran the entire length of his property. His house was little more than a row of back-to-back tiny rooms that could literally only accommodate a stick of furniture. The neighbors complained. They were furious. How are you letting him do this? The city officials said, we've checked. He's not violating any codes. He did everything. He pulled all the permits. There's nothing we can do to stop construction. When it was finished, this man moved into the uncomfortable house, barely, literally able to get, get around and navigate this house, and he stayed there until his death. This house became known as the Spite House, and it stands as a monument today to the problem of one man's bitterness and unforgiveness. And the reason I know that's true is because I read that story on the internet. Google it. Actually, I saw a picture of the real house. It is a real story. Now, when we hear that story, we're thinking, wow, who in the world would do that? And the answer is shocking. The answer is this. You and I would. That every single time we choose bitterness and spite over forgiveness, then in a very real sense, we become trapped in our own house of spite. But here's the good news today as we continue our series. There's hope for a wounded heart this morning. If you've not been with us for the past few messages in the series, uh, we talked about, I encourage you to look at these online. Week one, we explored the hope for an anxious heart or a fearful heart. And last week, we talked about hope for a guilty heart out of Psalm 32. But when we taught on the first week, uh, hope for an anxious heart, uh, we talked about three kind of foundational passages that we work through. And so today, when we talk about bitterness, uh, I want to do the same thing. Three passages that I want you to be familiar with uh, so that you can go and meditate on these when you're struggling through uh, seasons of bitterness, but also so that you can disciple other people. And that's essential because there is no short supply of bitterness in the world around us. And so those three passages are Ruth chapter 1, which is going to be our starting point today, which we looked at a few months ago. Uh, Ruth chapter 1, we're also going to look at Hebrews chapter 12. And then we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4. So if you want to take your thumb and mark those places, I guess you'd have to have three thumbs, right? <laughs> right? So just kind of mark where those are because we're going to get those. We're going to start off in uh, Ruth chapter 1 today uh, and dealing with uh, someone who's losing the battle against bitterness. That's exactly where we find Naomi uh, today. But before we look at the life of Naomi, 
Uh, let's start off with a, with a definition I think that will be helpful as it relates to uh, bitterness. I read all kinds this week. Some talked about bitterness is the result of unresolved hurt and unresolved anger. Uh, but uh, the definition I liked the most was this because it was catchy and it was short enough to remember uh, was this. Bitterness is harbored hurt hidden in the heart. Bitterness is harbored hurt hidden in the heart. And that actually describes Naomi as we're going to encounter her here in Ruth chapter 1. So I'm going to read verses 11 through 13, and then I'm going to skip down and read verses 19 through 21 this morning. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I'm too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me, for your sake, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Now skip down to verse 19. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Now, if you weren't with us a few months ago when we taught an overview through the book of the roof, let me give you the cliff notes so you know uh, kind of what's going on here. So, uh, Naomi and her husband uh, were in the promised land, but a severe famine came on the land, and so they did what was unthinkable. They left their inherited land in the promised land, and they set out for a place called Moab because, again, there was a famine in the land. But before they could get there, Naomi's husband, he passes away. And she's got two little boys, and so she's taking those boys, and so they go, and they finally enter Moab, and those little boys become uh, little older boys, and those little older boys do what older boys do, they look for some cute girls. And sure enough, they find them. And so they marry two Moabite women. And so she's grieving at the loss of her husband, but then there's rejoicing at this uh, wedding celebration. But quickly after that, her rejoicing once again turns to grief because her two sons also die. And so Naomi, Naomi does uh, what she often does when we don't know what to do. She just says, hey, I, I don't know what to do now. My life has been turned upside down. And so what does she do? She just says, uh, I'm going back home. I don't know what else to do, so I'm going to go back home. And her two daughters-in-law, uh, Ruth and Orpah, uh, she says, hey, you, you stay here. I'm too old to get married. I've lived my life. This is the end of my journey. I'm just going to go back home to my people and die. But, but you're still young. You've got your whole life in front of you. You can still get re remarried. And so Orpah says, hey, I'll, I'll do that and I'll stay. But Ruth says, absolutely not. Wherever you go, I'm going to go. Your people will be my people. I'm not going to leave you in this time. And so they travel back to Bethlehem. And when they get there, uh, people are shocked. Because remember, when, when they left, it was a long time ago that, that when they left, no one ever left the promised land. So the fact that they left was shocking. The fact that they returned. And remember, when she left, she had two little boys. And now she's coming back. And she has a daughter, actually a daughter-in-law. And so they run out there. And they call out, is this Naomi? Because remember, they haven't seen her in a while. And she says, hey, 
By the way, in all this time that I've been gone, I've actually changed my name, but no longer call me Naomi. Instead, call me this name, which in the Hebrew literally means bitter. And so as we've taught often, that whatever's in our heart comes out of our mouth. Matthew chapter 12, verse 34 says this, that out of the mouth the heart proceeds. So, so we don't have to wonder if Naomi, in fact, is dealing with bitterness. She said, hey, this is what's coming out of my mouth. As a matter of fact, I'm so bitter that I'm actually changing my name. Don't even call me Naomi anymore because my name is Mara. And Mara in the Hebrew, it literally meant bitter is exactly where we find her. So uh, as we've tried to do this series, I want to make this as clear and as simple as possible. I don't want anybody going out here going, wow, that was really deep, which is spiritual talk for, I have no idea what he was saying, right? I want this to uh, put the cookies on the bottom shelf where the kids can get them. I want this to be plain and simple because it's not theological information. It's application that leads to transformation. And so I just want to walk us through three principles for a wounded heart as we battle seasons of bitterness in our life. And so the first truth I want you to see is this, is that bitterness is a root, not a fruit. Bitterness is a root, not a fruit. Theologically, often the terms grace and mercy get interchanged as if they're the same word but, or same meaning but just different words. And so actually, they're not the same thing. They shouldn't be used interchangeable because grace is God giving us what we do not deserve and mercy is God withholding what we do deserve, which is wrath. And so sometimes we talk about emotions, uh, sometimes we use bitterness and anger uh, in the same way that they're as if they're interchangeable, but in fact, just like grace and mercy, they're not interchangeable. And so let me give you some distinctions. Uh, anger leaves quickly, but bitterness lingers indefinitely. Anger is sometimes good when we're angry about sin or unrighteousness or injustice, that's we see Jesus flipping over the tables, but bitterness is never good. Anger is about the present. Bitterness is about the past. Anger is above ground. Bitterness is underground. In other words, anger is a fruit, whereas bitterness is a root. But here's the reality. Whenever that root of bitterness is left uh, untreated, whenever it's left uh, not dealt with, then, then ultimately always what shows up is the rotten fruit uh, in our lives of bitterness because whatever's going on in our hearts will show up in our lives is what Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 said. And Naomi clearly has bitterness in her heart. She's so bitter, she says, as a matter of fact, from this day forward, my new nickname is bitter. And so what we see here in this passage, she leaves no doubt that she's filled with bitterness. What's fascinating is that she's not blind to it, but most people are blind to their bitterness. Over the years, I've had people I've encountered where, where they, they have no idea they're bitter, they're defensive that they're bitter, uh, but everyone around them is very aware that in fact they're bitter. Naomi's not there. She says, I'm so bitter that I've actually changed my name. Listen, if you're pregnant and you're having a baby and you say, hey, this child is going to be bitter, uh, think again, pray harder, all right? That's what she says. So not only does she aware of it, she actually owns it and says, this is who I am. But what, what is telling in her response when she begins to explain to them why, in fact, she has changed her name, uh, she exposes uh, one of the root issues of bitterness. And I want to see if you can see this. So let's go back and read this slowly so you can see this in the text. Look back at verses 20 and 21 when she's responding. Remember, they go out and they say, hey, it's Naomi. She's back. And I don't know where her boys are, but she's got a daughter now. And, and so they're running out there. And, and this is her response. Do not call me Naomi. 
Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Now, I don't know if I've ever shared this or not, but see if this sounds familiar. We do what we do. You know where I'm going? <laughs> because our heart wants what it wants. Because we believe what we believe. I hope that sounds familiar. I hope you can repeat that. You understand that. That's why we do uh, what we do. And so what's going on here uh, in her life is the reason that she's acting this way is because what comes out of her mouth in her testimony or her confession here is exactly what she believes. You, you don't have to wonder why she's doing this, why she changed her name, why she says call me this. Because out of her own mouth she says... This is what I believe, and so because I believe this and it's not true, then I'm going to live my life and do these actions and change my name to being bitter. So what are the wrong beliefs that's the root of her bitterness? Number one, she believes that the cause of her bitterness lies with someone else. Now, if you're listening, say amen. Hurt comes from other people, but bitterness is the result of how we choose to respond to that hurt. Let me repeat that. It's important. Hurt comes from other people, but bitterness is the result of how we choose to respond to that hurt. And Naomi openly admits that the cause of her bitterness is, is she says, hey, it's not me. Yes, I've changed my name. Yes, I want you to call me this moving forward. But right out of her own mouth, she doesn't say, because this is how I've chosen to deal with the loss in my life. This is how I've chosen to deal with this hardship. This is No, she says, as a matter of fact, she says, uh, the fault here is not me. The fault lies with God himself. What's she saying in response? She says, the Lord has testified against me and brought calamity uh, upon me. She says, uh, previously, she says, the Lord has, Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. She says, the Lord has brought me back empty. So it's fascinating because she says, hey, Yes, I will acknowledge that I'm bitter, so bitter, in fact, that I'm changing my name from this point forward. So, but where she's wrong and the wrong belief is, hey, I'm bitter, but it's God's fault. He brought me back empty. He brought calamity into my life. He's testified against me. And you may be there and you may say, they may describe you, say, yes, I'm battling bitter and resentment and anger is the fruit of all of that but you would be too if you know how I've been hurt yes I am bitter but the cause lies with someone else maybe you're like Naomi and you're bitter towards God because of tragedy that happened in your life or you felt like God hasn't dealt you a fair deck of cards that's exactly where Naomi was maybe you're bitter towards a spouse who left you for someone else and left you in the difficult life of a single parent maybe you're Bitter towards a company or a business that you worked for for years faithfully and they terminated you without cause and minimal severance. Maybe you're bitter because someone has wronged you and abused you and they've never admitted it and you feel like justice is never going to be served. Maybe you're bitter towards a parent who never showed you the love they should have shown or they showed love but it was to a favored sibling in your life. Maybe you're bitter towards church because you had an experience in church where the people professed they loved Jesus out of one side of their mouth, but then said hurtful and did hurtful things to you out of the other side of their mouth. Listen, maybe you're even bitter at me this morning because I've gone from preaching to meddling. Amen? (laughs) 
But one of the wrong beliefs that the cause, a root of bitterness, is believing that someone else, and for Naomi it was God himself, someone else is in fact the source of our bitterness instead of understanding they're actually the source of our hurt and the bitterness is our response and responsibility. Naomi said, hey, just in case anybody's wondering, I'm bitter, it's God's fault. I went away full, he brought me back empty. Uh, Her reply is that she no longer wants to be called by a certain name that doesn't represent her view of herself. But I want you to listen to this closely. It does represent her view of God and how he's dealt with her. Naomi also exposes a second common root of bitterness. So one, it's a wrong belief that the cause of my bitterness lies with someone else. Yes, I am bitter, but it's God's fault. That's wrong belief number one. But the second common root of bitterness is when a person has an unholy view of God. That they come to a place where life has been so hard and suffering has been so great and so prolonged or maybe life hasn't been fair to them. Maybe God hasn't blessed their life like they see other people's life being blessed on social media. Did you know, by the way, social media is the highlight reel. Did you know that? Everybody aware of that? And we all say yes and amen. I know that. But can we just all not to testify, to getting on social media and seething sometimes. Look at their life. They look like they like each other. Look at them. We're eating cereal. They're having meatloaf. What's wrong with us, right? And so for Naomi, she had a wrong view about God. That God, in fact, was not just. That God, in fact, was not loving. That God, in fact, was, if he was sovereign over his circumstances, then he didn't care because he could have jumped in and stopped those. That God, in fact, was no longer all these things. So her root of bitterness was not only that it's someone else's fault, but also she has a wrong view of the character of God. Now, I don't have to wonder that because she speaks right out of her mouth with slander. She says, God himself has dealt bitterly with me. Now, I want you to understand this. Everybody look up here. This is so important, all right? Bitterness is the result of anger changing from an experience to a belief. I experienced this, Naomi says, and and I believe that God's at fault. This all happened at the hand of God. God was asleep at the wheel uh, in my life. And so I've experienced this anger, this hurt, this disappointment, this grief, all these things. But now that, that experience or that emotion has now, in fact, turned into a belief about the character of God. And so sometimes... Bitterness is a result of, hey, it's someone else's fault. Naomi's guilty of that. But secondly, it's a wrong view about the character of God, and Naomi's bitterness is guilty of that as well. God did this, not my response, and God himself is not good. Her anger changed from an experience to a belief. Now, there's no praise that comes out of her mouth. There's no saying, oh, in the midst of all this loss, We didn't starve to death, that we found food in the famine. In the midst of losing my sons, I gained these two wonderful daughters. Matter of fact, one of them is so loyal to me that that she said, wherever you go, I'll go. Whoever your people are, there's no praise about the character of God, only slander. There's no testimony about thanksgiving, about the provision of God. All in her life, it's all negative. God did this, God is this, and all of that is the root of bitterness. One writer said this, bitterness looks at what has been taken away, Grace looks at what has been given. And so she's so bitter, she's so distorted, all she can focus on 
No mention of God's provision in the midst of all this. No thanksgiving for all that God has done. All she can focus on is what has been taken away. And that's exactly how bitter operates. You ever talk to someone and out of a politeness, you ask them, hey, how are you? And very quickly you realize I shouldn't have asked that. Right? Well, I've, been, I've had a terrible week, and my kids are just heathens, and, and this and that, and all this, and i got a boss that's just terrible, and I, you know, fill in the blank, all those kind of, you know what it is? Listen, a bitter heart always focuses on what's been taken away and what's missing and never expresses gratitude for the grace of God and his provision in our lives. That's exactly where Naomi is. Maybe some of you are there this morning as well. And sometimes we, don't, we forget that sometimes God doesn't bless us with a promotion. Why? Because he knows that the, the gain and the pride may, may ruin us. Whenever we forget when we're bitter that, that God brings often calamity into our lives so that we turn to him for refuge and experience him at deeper levels. Uh, sometimes God chooses to act or not to act because from his sovereign, all-knowing perspective, uh, he knows how it's going to turn out for our good and for his glory. And so but when a person becomes bitter, what they say is, hey, God is not good. My anger has now become a belief about God. So it's a root that says it's someone else's fault, and it's a root that says God himself and his character cannot be trusted. Bitterness is a root. It's not a fruit. Look at the second key passage I mentioned this morning. It could not be more clear regarding this principle that bitterness is a root, not a fruit in our lives. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 through 15 says this, strive for peace with everyone And for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord, look at verse 15, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. And so Hebrews chapter 12, I want you to notice in this passage what he's saying is, hey, there is an active part you can play in in making sure that, that bitterness does not take root in the soil of your hearts. First off, what's he say in verse 14? He say, as much as possible with you, strive to be at peace with everyone. You know why some people are, their lives is dominated by bitter and angerness? Because they're contentious people. They're hard to get along with. They, they have conflict with everyone, and conflict or the hurt that comes from conflict, not dealt with eventually, that undealt with conflict, that hurt, that resentment, eventually that is the fertilizer where a root of bitterness begins to take root in our hearts. And so he says, first off, he says, hey, to the best of your ability, strive to peace with everyone. And then secondly, what's he say in verse 15? He says, see to it. See to it's the verb form of the word translated bishop or overseer. It's a command that tells us to keep a close watch on our own hearts. In other words, there's active participation on your parts. Listen, if you walked out today and you said, hey, I'm going to see to it that that there's no weeds in my yard at the end of this this fall. What does that mean? Does that mean you're going to walk out there every day and say, boy, I hope no weeds spring up. I hope that that never happened. No, what does it mean? It means you're going to take action. Right? You're going to put fertilizer down uh, on the grass. You're going to put a weed kill on the weeds. You're going to pull up the weeds. You're going to do whatever it is. What? What? You're going to see to it. You're actively going to participate in making sure that weeds don't grow up in your yard or your driveway. That's what he's saying here. He says, hey, see to it. Take action. Uh, responsibility required on your part that no root of bitterness springs up. 
And so we first off deal with bitterness at the root. It's unresolved anger, resentment from hurt. We understand its origin. But secondly, we should be a fruit inspector. Most people who are bitter have a hard time realizing they're bitter. On more than one occasion, the last 20 years, I've been counseling someone. And I said, hey, I, I think you, you may be battling some anger and some bitterness here. And one time, someone let me know emphatically, I am not angry. I said, clearly you're not. Right? Clearly I'm wrong. We try to hide it, mask it, defend it, or we say, yes, I am, but you would be too if you know how God, the cards, God has dealt me, if you know how that person hurt me. In other words, again, that wrong belief that, that bitterness lies with someone else, not with our response uh, to hurt. And so what I want you to see, uh, this, is when I say be a fruit inspector, what we're saying is, hey, here's the warning signs. That bitterness has, in fact, taken root in our hearts. These are the, the dash lights to let you know that something is wrong under the hood in your heart. All right, so what is it I'm looking for? What's the rotten fruit of bitterness in my life? And so look at the end of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. And we're going to jump into Ephesians 4. And so what's he say at the end of verse 15? He says uh, that no root of bitterness springs up, and, and here it is, causes trouble. By it, many become defiled. So what, what's the first indicator that, that bitterness has taken root in my heart and showing up in my life? Is that there's a consistent source of trouble going on uh, in your lives. The Greek word translated trouble here in verse 15, it means to annoy continually, chronically, to cause affliction or suffering or to be unwell. So here's the thing. When a person has consistent, constant turmoil on the inside of their life that's consistently spilling out in their life what he says there's hey that may be the hidden roots of bitterness in your life the reason you're chronically unwell in the inner man and it's showing up in the outer man is because bitterness may in fact have taken a root in your hearts and so there's warning sign number one is the constant chronic turmoil in the inner man that often shows up in the outer man with conflict and arguments and fighting and all those kinds of things and negative speech and grumbling he said a root of bitterness may take root. And notice the warning about this in verse 15. Th this, may be, this may be the scariest part of not dealing with the root of bitterness. Because look at what he says at the end of verse 15. If that constant source of trouble is going on on the inside, then verse 15 says if you don't deal with it, if you don't see to it, to use the language of the text, then look what's going to happen. Many will become defiled. Someone once described bitterness as an acid that consumes its own container. And once it has consumed that own container, then guess what? It is free to spill out everywhere. And what he's saying at the end of verse 15 is it will spill out on everyone around you. I want you to listen to me closely this morning. If you've got constant conflict and fighting in your marriage, then hear me. Your children will be defiled by your bitterness. If you've got unresolved hurt and resentment from your childhood and your parents and there's bitterness that's going on, listen, if you don't uh, see to it and uproot that bitterness, then guess what? Your spouse is going to deal and be defiled with your bitterness because you're going to expect them to fix something that they didn't even break. And they're wondering all the time, what did I do? And they didn't do anything. And so what's he say? It is, it will defile many left to itself. It will destroy you, eat you up from the inside. And once that container's been eaten up, then listen, everything around you will become defiled by your bitterness. And you say, hey, I don't know if that's true or not. Ask someone. 
Ask them. Is that true? Ask someone who's close to you. Now, when I say that, here's what I know, because I've been counseling a couple times over the years. If your bitterness is spilling over in anger, and we'll get that in just a moment, to the people around you, when I said, hey, ask someone, the person you would most likely ask is right now praying, saying, dear Lord Jesus, baby Jesus, please don't let them ask me that. Right? Eight pounds, six ounce, infant baby Jesus, intercede right now. Close their mouth, God. Break their teeth, oh God. It's a psalmist prayed. They don't want you to ask them that. You know why? Because they've been defiled by your bitterness. They've felt the venom of your anger. They've experienced the wrath of your unresolved hurt and resentment. And what he's saying in verse 15, he says, if you want to know if you're a bitter person, ask the people who know you best if they've been defiled. Because what he says in verse 15 is many will be defiled because of it. You see, if you think, hey, I am angry, I am bitter, I am hurt, I haven't resolved this, but it's not hurting anyone else. Listen, let me tell you, you're only lying to yourself. That's what verse 15 saying. That's not me saying that. That's the scripture, the word of God saying that clearly in verse 15. Because here's what I've observed, and some of you have observed this unfortunately as well. Bitter people are angry people. You know where the most angry people in the world live? In line at the drive-thru. <laughs> One of my early jobs, I worked at Wendy's. You've never seen it. Like, there's a whole term for it now, right? Hangry? Like, people come through, and like, they just, I mean, circle back around, and you hear tires squealing on this side, like, you know, like coming through, you got my order wrong. I'm thinking, bud, it's $3.99. Manage your expectations here, all right? I got that thing off the floor. You're lucky I wiped it off before I put it out that window. Can I have extra mayonnaise? How about some dirt from the floor? Does that sound good? I had one person, honest to goodness, Lord, just give me this right now. You're welcome, all right? Had a lady come through, come in, and so when they come through, when they, don't, when they go around, they're not that mad. When they park and get out of their car and come in with their bag, they're mad. She got the food out, she says, you see this chicken? I do. You know, I'm 15 years old. Yes. You see how raw it is? Yes. Right? I, don't, what, I don't know what chicken's supposed to be. Yes. This is what I feed. <laughs> this is what I feed my cat every lunch. This could have killed him. I said, praise God. Amen? <laughs> Let that cat go back to the devil from where it came from. Please and thank you. This isn't Chick-fil-A. This isn't my pleasure. Like, get on out of here. You and that devil cat go on home. I don't know where I'm at in my notes. I'm just sharing. I've got bitterness in my heart. It's coming out of my mouth. <laughs> Ma'am, if you're here today, I hope your cat's not dead. I just. <laughs> Bitter people are angry people. I'm, I'm one of them, I guess. I don't... Look back. Look at Ephesians 4. All right? Let's go back to the text. Look at Ephesians 4. Start off in verse 26. Let the, let the text speak for itself. Verse 26 and 27. Be angry and, so he's separating two things. These aren't, right, he says these are two separate things. Be angry and do not sin. So there's a type of anger that is not sinful. It's righteous. You know, Jesus got angry, all that kind of stuff. Be angry, do not sin. And then he says this. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. So what's he saying? Hey, when you get hurt, don't stuff it. 
Don't, 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 don't let the sun go down your anger over and over and over again. Don't just stuff it because guess what's going on? You know what that looks like? That looks like this in your marriage. You ever go to bed at night, right? You're like, hey, I just feel like there's something off. Are, are we okay? Right, guys? Because guys, guys are not very intuitive. I just feel like I hurt your feelings. Are we okay here? And when your wife says, we're fine. In the Hebrew, what that really means is, I'm going to kill you in your sleep. That's what that means. We're go to bed. Are you thirsty? You want some Benadryl? We're fine. Just go to bed, right? I'm going to smile. Right? You know what you're doing in a real way? You're letting the sun go down your wrath. You know what I've learned over the years? You can't bury something that's alive. You know why? Because when it comes back, it's worse than ever. You ever seen Pet Cemetery? Watch it. Letting the sun go down. What you say, what's going to happen if I keep stuffing that, keep stuffing that hurt, not, not uprooting and not, not seeing to tending to the soil of my own heart? Well, you don't have to wonder what's going to happen because he tells you in verse 27 what's going to happen. He says, you give the devil a foothold in your life. What's he saying? Is bitterness unresolved gives the devil an advantage in your life. Now, with my wicked heart, I don't need any help. That's exactly what's going to happen if bitterness is not dealt with. You let the sun go down your wrath, verse 26, and he says the result of that is the devil gets a foothold in your life, verse 27, so that he can upend you, so that he can flip your life upside down with your bitterness is exactly what happens here. Verse 29, what's he saying, verse 29? He says, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Listen, a bitter person is just the opposite. Their speech is critical. It's not building people up. It's tearing people down. It's not offering grace to the hearer. It's offering venom to the hearer. But it doesn't end with critical speech because sin is always progressive in nature. Look at verse 31. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Paul gives a list of five words that all describe varying degrees of anger, but, but listen, they're all nuances, but here's what he's saying is, hey, the end result of bitterness will be some form of anger. I just gave you five of them. Pick one, maybe pick three, right? And he says, this is the rotten fruit that will come out of bitterness. It's a root that is not dealt with in your life. What he's saying is, bitterness will always produce the rotten fruit of anger. And if that describes you, then what does he say in the text? He doesn't say, hey, go, go manage it. Go to anger management, right? He doesn't say, uh, try to go outside and count ten. What's he say? He says, let it be put away from you. Uproot it. Get rid of it. Don't manage it. Get rid of it. How? I'm glad you asked. Because there's a last principle I want to share with you. To uproot bitterness in your heart, you have to choose the freedom of forgiveness. Some of you are saying, I, you, you don't know how I've been hurt. You don't know the deck of cards that God himself has dealt me. If you in my life, you'd be bitter as well. Let me just ask you a question if you're pushing back right now when I say that. Let me ask you a question. Who's suffering from your bitterness the most? It's you. It's not the person that hurt you. Like they've moved on. They're out probably hurting someone else. You're the one who's got ulcers. You're the one who can't sleep at night. You're the one who's blowing up in anger all the time you're the one who's all you know just dealing with all these you're the one who's being eaten up by your own bitterness someone very wise to this bitterness is like drinking poison and then waiting for the other person to die 
And so let me ask you, who's paying the highest price for your bitterness? Not the person that hurts you, it's you. You ever try to open a door and it's, a, it's actually pull and you're like, you know, when I do that, you know, the first thing I do, you think, oh, you push. When you find, no, you know, the first thing I do, I look around. Did anybody see that? <laughs> you know what you are when you choose bitterness over forgiveness? You're inside your own spite house and the door says push for forgiveness and you're pulling it tighter shut. Go down to verse 31 and verse 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor be put away from you along with all malice. So that's what you should do. And then verse 32 tells you why you should do it. Listen to what he says. Verse 32, he says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And so what he's describing is this. He says, hey, I'm not negating or minimizing the hurt that person caused in your life, but here's the reality. There's not a single person who has hurt you more often than you and I have hurt Jesus Christ with our sins against him. And he said, so do for them horizontally what you've received vertically from the Lord Jesus Christ. Forgive just as you have been forgiven. You say, they don't deserve forgiveness. Listen, neither did you and I. That's why it's called grace. So why would people choose bitterness over forgiveness? Because wrong action is ultimately driven by what? Wrong belief. And wrong beliefs about forgiveness keep us trapped in bitterness. Forgiveness is not the absence of consequences or future accountability. Forgiveness is not saying it's okay when it's not okay. Forgiveness is not the same as trust, which is built over time, conditional upon the fruit of repentance played out in someone else's life. Forgiveness is not seeking revenge on someone else, not because they don't deserve it, but because God is just and he'll take care of it. Forgiveness in the sense, it's not really a declaration about the other person. Forgiveness is a declaration about the character of God. Forgiveness is making the decision to release the hurt because ultimately it's hurting you. Forgiveness is living out the truth of Proverbs 24, 17. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls. Don't let your heart be glad when he stumbles. Lest the Lord see it and be displeased. You ever have a person you're bitter at, seething bitter at, maybe someone doesn't know, and something goes wrong in your life, and you see it out there, and some of you are like, good, they deserve it. Listen, so did you. You know what? Christ forgave you. Forgiveness is doing for someone else what Jesus Christ has done for you. Put away all bitterness. That's the method. That's what you should do. Verse 32 is here why you should do it because that's exactly modeling the gospel. Jesus Christ forgave me when I actively sinned against him. I did not deserve his grace. I deserved his wrath. He forgave me anyway, and I'm going to do the same thing to other someone else. I'm going to cancel and release the debt. Because the only person that's hurting is me. You say, who would do that? Jesus did. First Peter 2, he never sinned nor deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. And listen, if you've received that Jesus Christ who lives inside of you, then here's the good news about bitterness. Then he can empower you to do what you would not do left to yourself and what you could not do left to yourself. So let me hear this morning. You're in a house of spite. Break out, push open the door of forgiveness because Christ has forgiven you. Would you bow your heads this morning?
With your head bowed this morning, I want to ask two questions. Number one, have you received the forgiveness of Jesus Christ for your sins? The answer is no, but I'm not sure. Then right where you're at, would you pray right now and confess those sins? Would you throw yourself on the mercy of Jesus? Would you pray and ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins right now and become your Lord and Savior? Would you do that? You can be saved right now in your seat by faith. For those of you who have been saved, let me ask you a question. Isn't it time to let go of that hurt? Isn't it time to release that debt against that person or those people? Isn't it time to acknowledge the only person being hurt by your bitterness and hurt and resentment is you? And I know it's scary because we don't want to be hurt again, but would you just pray by faith right now and say, Lord, I'm releasing the debt against this person or these people because no matter how much it hurt me, it pales in comparison to how much I hurt you. They don't deserve forgiveness, Lord, but neither did I when Jesus Christ forgave me. So, Lord, I'm going to model the gospel by faith. I'm going to release the debt this morning. I'm going to break out of the house of spite I've been living in. I'm choosing the freedom of forgiveness. Father, we pray these things, not because they're easy, but because we can. And the reason we can is not what we've done, but what Jesus has done for us. Not only save us from the sins of our past, give us a home in heaven in the future, but God, he's actively reorienting the affections of our heart even today as we respond to him in repentance and faith. And so, Lord, thank you for Jesus. Not that we just get to go to heaven. Thank you, Lord, that he gives us the power to obey when we could not in these hard, hard truths like battling bitterness. And so, Lord, this week, help us to live not by sight, by how we feel. Help us to live by faith. This is all possible because of what Jesus has done for us and what he continues to do in us. We're grateful for the gospel. And his name is Jesus. Amen.